Hi, this is Robert Furrow, and welcome to Truth Quest Podcast. This is our Q&A where we look at questions through the lens of Scripture. Our desire is to know what God's Word says so we can know what to believe, rightly dividing the Word of God, comparing Scripture to Scripture, knowing that all Scripture has been inspired, God-breathed, for reproof, for correction, for doctrine, that the man of God could be thoroughly equipped, walking in every good work that God's given us to walk in, by the power that comes from the blessing of knowing what God's Word says and how we apply it. Our first question today comes from Henry Jones in our study uh, on our Q&A last week. Uh, He asked the question, um, do we all have to, then if we don't endure the end, we won't be saved. So during the Q&A, we had talked, made a reference to uh, the scripture, one of them that says, you have to endure to the end to be saved. And so then his was a response to that saying, then if we don't endure the end, we won't be able to be saved. So I want to, what I want to do to start is take a look at uh, a few passages that tell us that we have to endure to the end to be saved. This is Open Bible. Um, open Bible uh, is a place where you can ask, you can ask questions on Google. You can say, um, what does the Bible have to say about Satan? Or what does the Bible have to say about um, the millennium? And Open Bible will give you passages on that topic. It's extremely helpful. And here, I asked the question, um, what does the Bible say about enduring to the end? And I found a hundred scriptures on that. Now, I just want to take a look at a handful of these scriptures. It's uh, The first one here is Matthew 24, 13, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, that's in the middle of talking about the tribulation period, all right? Um, Matthew 10, 22, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Mark uh, 13, 13 is similar. Hebrews says something similar to this, for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. And um, James 5, 11, behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast, you have heard the steadfastness of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. 2 Timothy 2.12, if we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. So it becomes very clear that there are many passages that talk about enduring to the end. Uh, all the way through the Bible. I mean, a hundred of them here in open Bible. Now, not every one of them is going to speak clearly to what we are talking about, but we see it's clear. Now, this speaks to the once saved, always saved question, which I still have not got a solid position in. I lean towards that once you are saved, you will be saved. And if I believe that people can lose their salvation, if I end up believing that, I believe it will be very rare and only and very few who will do it. I think God has lined it up for those as who are Christians to be able to make it to the end. He's kind of, um, he set it up so that we are encouraged to make it to the end. Uh, if, If we are saved, when we get saved, we now lose our choice where we can't walk away from God anymore. We can only walk closer to him. Then I wonder about the freedom of choice. We believe that God gave us a freedom of choice because we want to be able to choose him. We think about Satan in heaven having the choice to be able to walk away from God. And that makes me wonder as well as a lot of other passages, some of them that are here in open Bible, um, some of them that are in the book of Galatians, uh, that just say that we have got to, uh, that that if we do certain things, then our faith is in vain. Um, just that statement there, that our faith is in vain, causes me to go, huh, you could have faith. Now, you, you, might, not, you might have demonic faith rather than faith, but your faith could be in vain. So there's enough to to make me question it. So to answer your question, Henry, yes, you have to endure to the end to be saved. A couple of ideas, those who believe in once saved, always saved, are going to say, you are going to endure to the end, and that's going to prove that that that's your salvation. 
And that's the evidence for salvation. And it's one of the reasons that I think that Calvinism can be so bad um, with the idea that you are either chosen by God or not chosen by God, and that you don't really have a choice in the matter. Um, that takes away the whole idea that we have a choice, that we are not robots, that we are the, that we get to choose if we love God or don't love God. And that's problematic to me. Uh, so I do believe that we would that, that vast majority of believers will endure to the end and be saved. I think there's possibility that some won't. But if you don't endure to the end, it becomes evidence that you didn't really have a commitment to Christ is what the Calvinist is going to say, or those who believe in once saved, always saved, that it becomes evidence you didn't have it. But that doesn't give you any confidence in salvation either. That's why I'm saying that if someone believes, look, God, God chose me and I had no choice in it and I, and I don't have freedom of choice now. I never had freedom of choice. I was chosen by God and, um, irresistible grace. I was, I have been given irresistible grace. I can't help it. I've got to follow after him. How do you know that you're one who's chosen with irresistible grace if you believe? Because some people do walk for a while and then fall away. And you say he was never saved. But how does that give you confidence? How, how does it give you confidence that you're really chosen by God? Because you might not be. And it might be evidence in the future that you've walked away. And so this becomes the problem. So for us, if you believe you are saved, you trust in him, you chose him, by this we know that we are in him because we want to keep his commandments. And so we know that we've made that choice and we followed him and we can have confidence of that salvation. As long as I believe him and endure to the end, I'll be saved. And God's going to give me the strength to be able to endure to the end. Now, can I become rebellious and still have my choice and choose to walk away from God? Perhaps. This is why I'm unsettled on the question. And remember, I've been doing this a long time, but I've been looking at scriptures like this for a long time, and I'm still unsettled on the question, and I'm just not willing to make a stand. And instead, and, and I, I talk about this often, that the question doesn't really matter anyway, because the person who walks away from God, one side is going to say they walked away from him, uh, they were saved, and they walked away from him. The other group's going to say he walked away, and he was never saved, and he walked away we still have a person that needs Christ, that needs the gospel, that we're going to respond and interact with him the same way, no matter what your position is. And so I think it's a, a moot question to ask, you know, do you believe in once saved, always saved? Uh, I think, hey, look, we've got people who are saved and people who aren't. And maybe it would give you confidence to think, you know what, I can't walk away. Um, but if it ties into irresistible grace, then that becomes problematic as well. So yes, uh, Henry, absolutely. We have to endure to the end uh, to be saved. All right. So it is good to see you guys here today. Uh, we have a question right out of the chute. Um, so here we go. This is um, believe. <laughs> Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. LA 91. Acts 5.3. Why did Ananias lie? Was it because he was to give a certain percentage back? What was uh, his land? Um, what was that his land he sold? Yes, it was his land to sell. And you remember when you, when you go into that account that Peter says to him, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? While it was yours, was it not your own? And, and so they had the right to do whatever they wanted to do with it. If they wanted to sell the land and keep the proceeds, they could have done that. There was no forced tithing. There was nothing that, that God took the life of Ananias and Sapphira because they lied. Uh, earlier on, you have Barnabas who sells a piece of property and gives the proceeds to the apostles. The apostles, this is a commune living early on in the book of Acts. And I can't think of a worse giving system than to bring in your gifts and lay them at the feet of the most important people in the organization. So you got the 12 apostles, the most important. God's going to build, these are the foundations of the church. And they bring in their gifts and they put it at the feet. And everybody goes, oh, how wonderful. And so Barnabas was lauded because he had given this gift and gave everything. And then Ananias and Sapphira say, well, we can sell that piece of property and we'll pretend that we give it all. But they held some back so that when they came and laid it at their feet, then they had lied to the Holy Spirit 
it's very early on in the church. I think they become an example in the Old Testament after they give the law and they're not supposed to do any work on the Sabbath day. The very next Sabbath day, a guy goes out and picks up sticks uh, for, to make a fire. He's working. And they, they take him and execute him. God says to execute him. Now, I think that now later on, there are people who break the law who aren't executed for the same exact thing. And Ananias and Sapphira do something that many people do, uh, trying to look like they're more spiritual than they really are and, um, and lie about it, lie to the Holy Spirit, and don't get killed. And I think that God was making a point as to the pureness of the early church and that God didn't want to let this stuff in that quickly. And so God took their lives from them. And um, we can be glad that God doesn't take lives today for the same reason, because people want to be seen by men. Remember, Jesus said, don't do this. Don't, when you give, give it, uh, don't let your right hand, let your left hand know, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. And when you pray, pray secretly. Don't do it in front of people. And then no one dared to join them. So the commune, this whole commune living and the way that they gave died at that point. All right. So thank you, LA. Uh, hopefully uh, that answers your question. If you have a follow-up, you can ask it. So let's see. Um, we have a question from Jari, a question on a follow-up on endurance. Um, follow-up on endurance. Do we know for certain that we are saved? Do we know for certain there is a God? I heard a Christian say, we have faith, but we don't know for certain. Uh, thoughts, thanks. Yeah, I do have thoughts on this. Um, we believe responding to the evidence that we have about God, the existence of God, what the Bible has to say, uh, the resurrection, the fact that in history, there is a no, um, there is very few knowable events as solidly as the burial and empty tomb of Jesus and his crucifixion under Pontius Pilate. People will say, well, it's just the Bible that talks about it, but it's not true. There are several non-biblical historians, non-Christian historians, who talk about the brother of, James, of Jesus, James, that talk about Jesus being crucified under Pontius Pilate. Uh, it had made such an impact on that first century world that historians that were contemporaries wrote about those things. And then we have the uh, New Testament books which are their own independent accounts of what happened. And those are, even though they are written by the people who believed in the resurrection, it doesn't mean that they weren't historical. In fact, we know that the Bible was incredibly historical. And so we believe the evidence. Um, there's the, the moral argument for God. There's the m argument from the design of the universe. So there's a lot of evidence that we have that points to God. Now, can we know for certain that God exists? 100%. Maybe not 100%, but we can be very confident. How many things do we not know 100% and we will, we'll, we'll do it anyway? For example, you're taking a trip. Planes go down, you get on a plane. You're fairly certain it's not gonna go down, but you get on it anyway. And so we believe, and belief is not blind faith. And so what he said here, um, can we be certain we are saved and know for certain that God, that there is a God? So know for certain that we are saved. The Bible says, by this we know that we know him, that we keep his commandments. So if you say, well, I love God, I know him, but I don't want to keep his commandments, then that's evidence that you haven't really committed your life to Christ. When you say, I want, to, I want to keep his commandments. I'm not talking about struggling. I'm not talking about sinning. I'm talking about wanting to do what Jesus wants you to do and keeping his commandments because you're going to do what you want to do. And if you want to keep his commandments, then you're going to do them. Now, so we can know for sure, certain that we are saved. And then, uh, do we know for certain that there is a God? And uh, as I said, faith, the atheists like to say that we have we have uh, faith, which is, is believing in spite, despite any evidence. And that's just not true. There's a lot of evidence for Christ and for the, the resurrection and for the Bible and that we can trust the scriptures. Um, there's a lot of evidence for it, all right? Um, so I heard someone say that we can't know for certain. And I would agree with that statement to the, ex 
to the extreme. I mean, we don't even know for certain that we're not in a simulation, right? And people today, there are a lot of people today who are believing that there's a matrix and that we're living in a simulation. What can you, what can you really know for sure? There's a lot of things we don't know for sure, but we do them anyway. All right. Thank you, Jari. I appreciate uh, that question. Good to see you. Uh, we have a question from Albert Sanchez. Albert, good to see you. Um, Albert says, a, a high pastor in Numbers 1, 52 and 53, it appears the Israelites arranged their tribes in a cross pattern with the tabernacle in the center. Do you think this could have been a foreshadowing of Jesus on the cross? Yeah, I do. Um, so it actually gives where the tribes are supposed to be in relation. And let's, let's go ahead and go to that passage and take a look at this, and, and, and I'll read it. Um, and, I'm, and I'll add something to what you're saying here, Albert. Uh, so let me just go to my Bible here and go to, it's already in Deuteronomy. How about that? Go to Deuteronomy. Oh, no, it's Numbers. I need to be in Numbers. <laughs> okay. Numbers 152. 152. Long, long chapter. All right. So let's see what it says here, Albert. All right. So it says, um, the children of Israel shall pitch their tents, everyone by his own camp, everyone by his standards, according to their armies. But the Levites shall camp around the tabernacle in the testimony that they may uh, be no wrath on the congregation of the children of Israel. And the Levites shall keep its charge of the testimony. Uh, this uh, thus the children of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded them. And so that's not the passage that I'd hoped it would be. It does talk about them camping around the places. Uh, but there is a passage where it talks about these tribes will camp on this side, these tribes will camp on that side, these tribes will camp down here, and these tribes will camp up there. And Judah is the largest of the tribes, and Judah is would, would make the bottom or the longer part of the cross. Um, now, is this some speculation? Yes. There are a lot of things that people bring up that are could be coincidental, but they actually make a point. Uh, think about Balaam going up on top of a high mountain, looking down at the camp of Israel and wanting to curse them and not being able to and seeing a cross-like pattern. Now, that's interesting. And it may be that God had foreshadowed that and saw it, but we don't know it for sure. There's, there's just some speculation and sometimes we speculate. And um, what I do with stuff like this, Albert, is I say, that's really cool. And, I, and I'll talk about it. I may talk about it in a service when we're covering that particular passage. And I'll say, that's really, that's really wonderful. That's really cool. That's a cool thing. Now, whether God really set it up that way, it doesn't say that. Um, but, you know, what's the chances it's a coincidence? I don't know. All right. Um, so we have a question from Hunter. Hunter, good to see you. Hunter says, a question. Uh, Pastor uh, Pat is doing a Q&A with questions. Should I ask him? Uh, yeah, Hunter, ask him. Yeah, in, in your up and coming Q&A with, uh, with Pastor Pat. I went down there not long ago, Hunter knows this, uh, and did a Q&A with Pat there. Uh, a lot of fun, just sitting with people and answering their questions. So, um, yeah, ask him, and then you can come back and ask me and see if we give you the same answer. How about that? <laughs> All right. So, um, I'm glad you didn't tell me what the, what the question is. Um, and uh, come back and ask me, and, I'll, and, I'll, and we'll check, see if Pat answers it correctly. I'm, I'm kidding. We'll see if we've got the same answer. Um, Stephen uh, and Kate says, um, I, wrestled, I wrestle with doubt. Can you recommend any passage or wisdom to help? Thanks and God bless. Um, okay, um, Stephen or Kate, whoever whoever this is. Um, a lot of people wrestle with doubt. I've had doubts before. Um, I think that God uses doubts to cause us to dive in. Sometimes doubts can cause us to walk away from God, but sometimes doubts can cause us to really dive in. And um, the example of this is Elisa Childers. Uh, she wrote a book called Another Gospel. And in that book, she talks about how she was brought into a inner circle of people in her church. And it was progressive Christianity. And it brought up doubts and, and things she couldn't answer. 
And she, so she dove in to find out, was the Bible really reliable? Was it inspired? The things that they brought into question, uh, it caused her to really dive in. And so what I would suggest for you is uh, that you would read, start off reading one of the books that gives evidence for, for God and for the Bible. Uh, there's a handful of them that you could read. Uh, you could read uh, The Case for Faith by Lee Strobel. Very good, uh, pretty simple read. You could read Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. And get the one by Josh McDowell and Sean McDowell. It was rewritten and it's really, really good. Um, this is the book that Skip read that helped him come to Christ. It's the book that Frank Turek read that brought him to the Lord. Uh, and then you got Frank Turek's book, um, I, don't I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. V him and Norma Geisler, very good. Uh, you have um, uh, On Guard by William Lane Craig, again, very good. Uh, you've got, I can't remember what the more, you got a book by um, Greg Kokel. Um, I read ta Tactics which has some defending of the faith in it because that's what he does. But he's got books as well. I think Natasha Crane has books as well. Um, uh, More Than a Carpenter is a, is a little bit simpler read. Um, but anyway, I would get one of these books. Um, Another Gospel by Elisa Childers would be a good book to get because she covers all of those things. You're going to begin to get the information in you. I am so sold on apologetics for Christians now. I put a lot of apologetics in my sermons. We want to give apologetics to kids. We're getting our children's program is setting up apologetics throughout it. We want to do it in junior high and in high school. Uh, we want to do it among the college age students so that they understand the basic questions about Christianity. So that if you are if you're if you're struggling with doubts, you can go. But wait a minute, this is this is true. Here's some evidence. Uh, we can trust the Bible, and it's our authority. And you know, we've got these um, these arguments that help us to be able to stand. And that when we find ourselves in college or facing someone who gives us a question, we're able to respond to that. Like, is God a moral monster because of the things he did in the Old Testament? Or is Jesus on the cross um, uh, cosmic child abuse? Um, or if God is good, why is there evil in the world? There are answers to these questions. And the more you know them, Stephen or Katie, you're going to be able to stand on it. So I really like your question. I think it's fantastic. I think every Christian should do it, especially in the day that we live in, where you can get these books in audio form. And I would suggest, even if you get it in audio form, to get it in a paperback as well. So that when you're listening to it, you can go back and you can look the things up um, that really spoke to you. And I think that that'll be extremely helpful for you. Um, and, I, and I know that you can be helped with those doubts, but don't walk away until you have an opportunity to look into those doubts. So doubts can be a tool that really, everybody has had doubts, everybody has doubts at times. So those doubts can be a tool to cause us to really dive in and find out more about how we are supposed to live. All right, uh, I appreciate that. So, um, Jari, responding to the um, to our first question, Pastor Robert, to me it seems it's scary thought that we can lose our salvation. I think it does matter because it kind of works behind. That means if I walk away from God and look at corn, I will be I will be left. Um, yeah, yeah, um, Jari, it is scary. I'm. I'm not, you could look at this two ways for, for what you're saying. You could look at it as, since I'm saved, and I know I'm saved, then I can go ahead and, and look at this. Or, I don't know if I'm really saved, I can go ahead and look at this. So I don't think that that is a motivating factor, should be a motivating factor for for what you do, the saved or, or, or um, once saved, always saved or not. Look, you got to endure to the end either way. So, you're, you are making the effort by the work of the Spirit in you. You are kept 
by him through faith. So you put your faith in God and he keeps you. And like I said, I lean towards once saved, always saved, but I don't think it's an important question. You could say, well, it's important to me because I know that I have eternity, but God's going to keep you. It's very, very hard to walk away from God. He leaves the 99, he goes after the one. And I have that personal experience in my life that God came after me. Now, some would say, well, that's because you were genuinely saved and God wasn't going to let you go. But he leaves the 99 and goes after the one. So, um, yeah, I'm not saying it's not an important question to ask. I'm saying it's a non-starter for me because I, I, I don't have to figure out what I believe about it because the person who walks away may have never been saved or knew Christ and walked away, but they still need Christ and they need to be able to walk to him. I mean, be, be able to walk with him to the end. All right. Thanks, Jari. I appreciate that. Uh, we have a question from Sandy, Sandy Duke. Sandy says, a friend of mine asked why the book of Enoch was removed from the Bible. I don't have the answer. Can you help out? Yes, I can help you. Uh, the book of Enoch was never in the Bible. Okay, that's, that's such an easy answer to that question. And I don't know why people think that it was in the Bible, but it was not in the Bible. It was never accepted into Jewish canon. And we have the same canon as the, Old Test, uh, as the, the Jews did in the Old Testament. Okay, our, our Old Testament is identical to the Torah. It's identical. Now, the only way it's different is that books are put in different order. There's different categories for the books than we have. But all of the, what is the 39? The 39 books of the Old Testament are the same 39 books that we have um, in that Judaism has. And we're never in the Bible. Um, and then you have the Apocrypha books, which were added by the Catholic Church and some of the Orthodox churches a little bit later on that we would say that we don't agree that they're scripture. And the 27 books of the New Testament, as we have them, were well known. And we have the scriptures that were confirmed by the apostles and by Jesus. Jesus quoted from all of these Old Testament passages. And Jesus talked about the scriptures. And then Jesus gave the, the apostles the Holy Spirit to remind them of the things that they were going to say because they were going to write them. So we have Jesus looking back at the Old Testament and forward to the New Testament, giving us confidence that what we have is from him. So the book of Enoch was never in the Bible, ever, ever, ever. And Dan Brown's thing that Constantine had the, the Council of Nicaea to solidify which part of Christianity, whether it was um, Gnosticism or Gnostic Gospels, or you know what we what we have today, is just nonsense. That was not the reason for the Nicene Council. The Nicene Council was to battle out the idea of the Trinity because there was there was someone who was teaching that the Trinity was more like modalism, not what we teach today. And so it was established then. And the twenty seven books were more were more not chosen by the disciples, but discovered by the disciples. They, they were written by apostles um, or those that had access to the apostles, and they were accepted almost immediately as scripture. Even in the Bible, Peter calls Paul's writing scripture. So even, even in, the, in the Bible. So the book of Enoch was never in the Bible, so it's really easy to respond to them by just telling them that the book of Enoch was never in the Bible. All right, and then read the book of Enoch sometimes and you'll see how absolutely strange it is. Um, so um, Donna Anderson, Donna, good to see you. Uh, Donna says, according to Matthew Henry, the Bible doesn't tell us if Solomon repented before he died. Quite a cautionary tale. What do you think about this? Yeah, I, I, don't, I, I don't think the Bible tells us whether or not Solomon repented after he died. Um, but we do have uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. And I don't know how old Solomon was when he wrote it, but he had to have done a bunch of experiences when he wrote it and said, what is the end of this matter then? Serve God while you're young. So I don't know if we would be able to go back to Ecclesiastes 
find out when he wrote that, if there's if there's uh, um, internal evidence inside the book itself as for when he wrote it, and then be able to come back. Um, but you know, Solomon they they were not supposed to um, kings were not supposed to marry multiple wives. Solomon was a serial polygamist, and that caused problems. And one of them was that he went after other gods and built altars for his wives, which was extremely problematic, obviously. All right. Um, so, um, question. Keith says, my daughter, Mad uh, Maddie, hi, Maddie, is here with me, and she has a question for you. Does Satan already know he's going to lose in the end, or does he believe he's actually going to win? That's a very good question, Maddie. Uh, I, um, I think that he is deceived and that it's possible that he thinks he, he thinks he can win. You would think that he would know God good enough. He would know his boundaries good enough that he's told what he can and can't do in the book of Job, that he would know that he's going to lose. Now, others believe that he knows he's going to lose and that he's trying to kick the can down the road as far as he can that he's just trying to to not just to cause as much havoc a, as he can like someone who wants to take as many people with them at the end that they can that that's satan and both are possible maddie there's no way we know for sure there are things that we don't know in the bible the bible says in deuteronomy 29 29 the secret things belong to God and the revealed things belong to us. So the Bible never tells us if he is deceived or if he, if he knows that he's going to lose. Um, I, do, I, I am thinking of one thing though, Maddie, the, um, when Jesus went to the Gadareans, the, the demoniac, so a demon inside of a man, runs to Jesus and says, what do we have to do with you? Are you here to send us back before our time? And so it seems that that demon knew the time. And if the demon knew the time, then Satan would know the time. I know when he's cast out of heaven, now that I'm thinking about this, sometimes you got to think out loud. When he's cast out of heaven, he comes down to earth with great fury, knowing that he's only got a little time. So I guess he does know that he's going to be defeated. But he is, um, but he's fallen and he's evil. And because he's evil, he's the great example of what evil is in this world. And because he's fallen, uh, and, and, and as far as we know, angels cannot find forgiveness. Jesus didn't die, didn't become an angel and die for angels. So Satan left glory, and it might be because they were in glory with God and then they decided to go their own way and do their own things. And God gave them free will. Just like God gave us free will, Maddie, we can make choices. So God gave angels free will and Satan became the evil one and um, uh, God has purposes for him. That God has purposes even for Satan. All right? So thank you, Maddie. I appreciate your question. Anytime you want to ask more, just, just give them to your dad. All right? Um, we have a question from Brad. Brad, good to see you. Um, Brad says, is climate change biblical? Will God supernaturally warm the earth and force mankind to repentance? Uh, yeah, the, making the earth hotter and hotter might do that. Uh, to some degree, it's biblical because in the book of Revelation, the sun is given power to scorch men. And um, this may be, first of all, a third of the, the waters turned to blood, a third of fresh waters turned to blood. And then, um, the sun scorches men on the earth. And I think that this is a particularly brutal um, judgment so that they curse God. I think that's the one. It was either that or the hail, maybe both of them, where they curse God for the severity of the plague that, that is put upon them. Um, the, we do know that the earth is, is warming up and has been warming up from the last ice age. And again, regardless what you believe about the age of the earth, we have polar caps that are melting. And they were melting a long time before anything was being brought out into the world. It, we were just in a warming trend. And there are cycles to these things. 
and we, we're, we're, we're living in a particularly hot moment now. Um, but no, I think that God will force man, I don't know if God is going to force man into repentance. God does things that, that he gives man opportunities to repent. Sometimes, you know, difficulties, hardships, struggles to be able to, you know, to, to give them an opportunity to be able to repent. Sorry, if you heard some dinging there, I turned on my um, head term, I do not disturb. Um, all right, so, uh, but thank you for that. Um, I think in, in a, sh a quick answer to your question, the short answer would be uh, climate change is not biblical, although we do see things heating up at the end of the age, all right? And um, I don't know that that's connected to what climate change uh, is going on right now. All right, thank you, I appreciate that. So uh, we have a question from Jari. Jari says, uh, question, uh, follow-up, do you think the guy that was stoned for working on the Sabbath is in heaven? Or was it works-based back then? Ananias and Sapphira in hell. Yeah, so I would have to speculate on both of these uh, because there's nothing in the Bible that tells us that. And, you know, we fall back to the secret things belong to God and the revealed things belong to us and they are not revealed. Um, I look at Ananias and Sapphira as a discipline from God for the sake of the early church. In Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says that some were taking communion wrongly. They were going in and eating and drinking and getting drunk. They were drinking the wine. They were getting drunk. They were eating. Um, and, and not leaving any for anyone else. And Paul said, for this reason, some of you are sick and some of you have even fallen asleep. Now, falling asleep is, is died as, as a, for a Christian. And so God does take people's lives. The Bible talks about a sin unto death, which is an interesting statement. And I heard a lot of different people talk about a lot of different things of what they think the sin unto death is. Um, but I think it's doing something that God decides, you know what, your time here on earth is done I'm going to take you home, and God does take and God does take Christians um, home with him. He does kill them like he did Ananias and Sapphira. So I think Ananias and Sapphira was saved. The guy picking up the sticks, um, I don't know. I I really don't know. Um, they they had a sacri It was giving of a sacrificial system as well. So maybe this guy picking up sticks had a rebellious attitude. Maybe he was like, I am following the law, and, and that, maybe we just don't know. And God doesn't tell us. And so we just have no idea really what was going on with him. Um, we just know the account as to what happened. All right, so thank you very much, Jari. I appreciate um, the follow-up. Uh, so we have, let me see, we've got another question here. Um, yes. And uh, thanks for resubmitting your question, Donna, um, with a question in front of it. Um, I did answer that a little bit earlier. I don't know if you if you if you got the answer there. Um, yeah, so um, you can go back and look at it. I, I won't talk about Solomon again. Um, uh, Donna resubmitted her question. Um, David Moore says, question. Why do some Christians blame God when situations in life don't work out? When we know God gives us a free will and we make choices. Yeah, now I, I mean, yeah, why do people blame God? Um, we don't know why God's doing what he's doing. We don't even really know if something is good or bad ultimately. We can know something's bad right now, but we don't know ultimately what's going to happen down the road. You've, you've heard of the butterfly effect, right? A butterfly flaps his wings somewhere and eventually that causes a tsunami around the world um, because of just a, a, a trail of things that happened. Um, you could think of it like ripples. Things ripple out from decisions that we make. And I may go through a horrific tragedy, but that might cause something good to happen in the future because there's a tragedy that's allowed in my life. So we just don't know. So we are very short-sighted, David, I think. So you say, why do Christian Christians blame God? Because we're very short-sighted and we don't really trust him all that much. And so when something bad happens, we're like, uh, 
What are you doing? And, you know, it could be it could be God doing it, right? Like, God works all things together for our good. We just don't know what the ultimate good is. And we don't know if there has to be bad things that happen in order for there to be an ultimate good. Um, we could think about working out. You got to you tear down your muscles in order to build stronger ones. Uh, we could think about people going to boot camp. They go to boot camp and go through this miserable experience for six, 10 weeks, whatever it is. And then they come out and uh, they are, they're, they're a new person because they went through hardships. And so God has a purpose for difficulties, struggles, and blame God. Now, God may allow our, God may allow our circumstances to come to the, the sowing and reaping that we do to come to fruition, fruition, and, and then use it for good as well. So it's not necessarily God just doing something. It says God works all things together for the good. So God's looking at all of them to bring them about to whether they are, are good or bad. All right. So thank you very much, uh, David, for your question. And welcome to our Q&A. We have a question from Brandon. Brandon, sorry, Brandon. Uh, Brandon says, is it wrong to call a church the house of the Lord? Uh, no. Uh, it, we are a building, right? Not built with hands. And we know we're talking about the bodies, but the church is where it meets. I think it causes some confusion as to what the church is, right? So, you know, here's the church, here's the steeple. Well, I'm going to do it this way. Here's the church, here's the steeple. Open the door and see all the people, right? So we think that the church is the building and that's problematic at times because when you're going to church, you're going to a, to a fellowship and it can be anywhere, right? So, but to call it the house of the Lord is not in any way wrong or sinful. Although it, you know, what, what are you going to call it? You know, I'm going to, going down the meeting house, you know, what, what are you going to call it? So we end up calling it um, the house of the Lord. We call it the church, the building itself of the church. Um, which is along the same lines. We call it the house of the Lord. If you say church, I'm going to church tonight. We're going to a building, but we're going to meet a gathering of people together that are the church. Um, if you say, I need to swing by the church to pick something up. Now you're calling the building the church. And that ends up being problematic. I don't know that that needs to change. Um, there just needs to be clarity on it. So it's not wrong to use it as the house of the Lord. I don't know. Maybe somebody said it was, um, but it's not. So Susan says, please answer um, Maddie's question under Keith. Clearly, you missed it twice. Did I, did I miss another one? I, I answered one from her. Let me go back and take a look here. Um, yeah. Um, Yeah, I answered that about, about Satan. I did. So, sorry. I guess you didn't, you didn't catch it. I don't know. All right. Thanks, thanks, Susan, for letting me know, though, just in case I had missed it. But I don't think I have. All right. Correct me if I'm wrong, okay? I've been wrong once, which is just a laughable joke. I've been wrong many times. All right. Um, so, we have a question from Penny, Penny Ray. Penny says, question, uh, question Pastor. If you are a Christian and your husband pro kinds to be a Christian, but he's constantly calling me a fake Christian and now telling me to go, go to your Bible and read your Bible, where do I go with this? Huh. I, Penny, I don't think there's any way that I'm going to be able to help you without sitting down and going over more of the situation. So you get a snapshot of something that's taking place in your marriage right now, which which no way gives us an idea of really what's happening in the marriage. Um, I mean, constantly calling someone a fake Christian is just wrong, right? Um, telling you to go read your Bible. You know, it's like, um, 
I don't know enough about the situation. I don't know enough about what else is going on to be able to confidently give you any direction. My direction would be go and talk with the pastor. Alright, I don't know where you're at or what town you're in, but go and talk to a pastor and they'll be able to ask you questions and they'll be able to give you a thoughtful response. I'm afraid if I respond, I could give you the wrong advice because I just don't have enough information to be able to, uh, to be able to answer that. All right, sorry, Penny. So we have a question from Henry. Henry says, follow up, what about the theory, um, what about the theory on the cross that did nothing for Christ but was still accepted into heaven? All right, so we're talking... So this is a follow-up. So we're talking about the thief on the cross who said, remember me when you enter into paradise. And then he's, he's brought up into heaven, right? He's accepted into heaven. I can still see your question down here, Henry, by the way. Um, so he got saved at the end of his life, nailed to a cross. And he lived for Jesus with the life that he had. He asked for Jesus to remember him. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. There's no, there's no works that we have to do to earn our way into heaven. There's just the evidence of the works that we have faith. That's why John, James says, show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. Um, the evidence that we are Christians is that we do the commandments of Jesus. So, at the most, you can say that the thief on the cross didn't have evidence that he was saved because his hands were nailed to the cross, couldn't do anything. But, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that he was genuinely saved because Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise, that he had genuinely, genu genuinely committed his life to Christ and that even though he didn't have the confidence of his salvation that he was genuinely saved and um, and Jesus um, brought him in to the kingdom. Ah, okay. So, um, yeah, um, we, we can't correct. Once they come on here, then they, then, the, then they, they can't be corrected. All right. Um, so Empress, uh, Empress Kimberly has a follow-up. She says, I've taken your I lean towards statement now on things I'm still working through. Thanks, Pastor. Excited about Revelation teaching tonight. Yeah, thank you. Me too. Um, yeah, I think we've all got to be here because there are things that we're just not sure of. And so, Pastor Chuck Smith, who founded Calvary Chapel, used to say, I have a, a shelf in my mind for further information that he hasn't made decisions on. And I think that's a good place to be. Uh, when you've got to be dogmatic about everything, and this is what I believe, and I believe the right way, and anybody else who believes anything differently is just dumb. I, I think that's the wrong place to be. Even if you don't call people dumb, it's the wrong place to be. Uh, we need to be open. And I don't want to, I want to be careful yeah, you meant to say thief. I got that, finally. Um, Henry, I see that. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't want to have to make a decision on something and then find out later on that I've got to change my position on it. I, and I don't have a problem with changing a position. I just don't want to take a position that's wrong if I can't really get it sorted out to my own confidence. All right, so thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, Vance says, uh, thanks for telling Penny to go talk to a pastor, what your husband should do too, maybe together. And uh, yeah, that's very true. And, and maybe together, maybe, maybe apart, uh, I don't know. All right, so that brings us to the end of our questions. Uh, if you have another question, I'll kind of go ahead and wrap things up here. If another question pops in, uh, then I'll go ahead and take it. Um, but we have a service tonight. 
We are in Revelation chapter 20. We're covering three verses. Uh, we're talking about why God would let Satan go after he is bound for a thousand years. And that's going to get into a lot of questions about Satan, who he is, about, you know, God, you know, why God would allow there to be Satan, why God would even create Satan. I mean, when, why would God let him back out again? Why would God create Satan in the first place becomes a question. So, um, I don't know how many studies we've had in the book of Revelation now. I want to go back and take a look. Um, but we, we have 22 in the book of Acts now. We've been in Revelation longer than that. So, we've got a lot of studies in the book of Revelation. We're breaking down um, each kind of section, talking about what each thing is. And so, today we're talking about Satan being bound for a thousand years, what that would do, and why at the end of that thousand years he would be released. Uh, we do these Q&As every most Wednesdays and Saturdays. Uh, sometimes, if I take the day off, um, then I won't do it, or I'm doing something different, uh, then I won't do it. But um, for the most part, we have these Q&As, and they are a supplement to the teaching ministry at Calvary Tucson, so that if you're watching one of our studies or you're, you're listening to one of our, um, our, our Practical Christian Living radio program, and you hear something and you have a question about it, then you can take a quick note with your question and then ask it here. So, if you are listening to the study and you have questions, write down what those questions are. My wife does this so that on her ride home, she can go, I have some questions about what you were saying. And it actually is very helpful to me because I realize where I haven't been clear and where I was clear. All right? So, write down the questions that you might be able to submit them. Okay? So, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go, I'm going to be out. Um, love you guys. Stay close to Jesus. Walk in the Spirit so you don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Stay in the Spirit and be ready for His return. Make sure everything is right between you and God. I like what uh, Chuck Swindoll used to say, keep short accounts. All right? So, thank you for joining me today on Practical Christian Living. On Practical Christian Living. That's another thing. That's our radio program on TruthQuest Podcast. All right? God bless you guys. We'll talk to you later on.